All right. Um, cool. My name is Dawson. If you don't know me, if you haven't met me yet, um, I am the ASU campus pastor, uh, Forkstop. And so, um, anyways, I moved out to uh, from Louisiana five years ago off of um, some wild encounters with God. Um, came out here, had no job, no place to live, $2,000 in my bank account, totally by faith, landed at Travis Phillips' house for two weeks because he's just really kind. Um, and uh, yeah, tried to stay longer. He told me no, and that God had other things, and he did. I stayed somewhere else, and about a year later, met my wife. And uh, Mark chapter 7 says, when you leave a land for the sake of the gospel or house, mother, father, sister, brothers, you'll receive a hundred times more in this life. So she's my hundredfold bride, my reward, and um, the reward of coming to Phoenix. And so um, really thankful for that. Love this city. It's home now. And anyways, so that's me. I'm really excited for tonight. I'm just going to jump in with a little story time. Who likes story time? Cool. I haven't talked about this yet, but I actually, I actually got to go to Israel with Sada um, last summer, so the summer 2020 dose, um, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, we, it was my first time in Israel, her second, and we just felt like Jesus said to go. I uh, got to reunite with my brother-in-law who's serving in Indonesia, and he kind of met us there, and we just had some fun. Anyways, we were there for like two weeks. Most of our time was spent in Yerushalem, Jerusalem, that's how you say it in uh, Yerushalem in uh, Hebrew. Um, and um, anyways, modern Jerusalem is totally different than ancient Jerusalem. It's sprawling, it's green, it's really modern. It's honestly really secular, really broken, and really sad. Um, it's the holy land because God desires it, not necessarily because people live it. Um, and so um, anyway, so it was a really unique experience for us, but I think the most interesting thing for me was that uh, modern Jerusalem's 48 square miles for my mathematicians. Phoenix is 1,000 square miles, just the city. So if you can picture that, the size-wise, that's big. Um, ancient old city Jerusalem is 0.35 square miles. So it's less than 100 times the size of modern Jerusalem. So you got all this hustle-bustle going on around, and then all of a sudden, boom, my favorite part, these walls just rise up out of nowhere, built in the 16th century by the Ottoman Empire. They're not the walls around Jesus' time, but it gives you a really good idea of what ancient Jerusalem looks like. Anyways, I loved it. It was so cool. I've seen walls before. I've been to Europe. I've been to Istanbul, seen walls there too. And anyways, but this was just cool because you're like, this is Jerusalem. Let's go. And so anyways, I'm like nerding out over the Bible and we're going in and, uh, and I think, I think the walls just fascinating. We got to go on them at, a, at one point, but um, I really, we're not used to that in the modern world. In America, there's actually no walled cities, fun fact, because America really took off in the 1700s and um, politically, in warfare, in architecture, all that stuff, they just kind of stopped building walls because people could just blast through them with a cannon. So it didn't make as much sense as it used to. But um, so we really just kind of don't know what that's like to have a city with walls. We're, we're used to cities just kind of like if you come from the south on I-10 into Phoenix, it's just dark and if you drive at night. And then all of a sudden there's like light. It's really cool. Um, and uh, anyways, America has none of that. But prior to the 1700s, across the world, cities were walled for two things, protection and security. If you lived in a walled city, you felt better because there wasn't marauding bands of murdering raiders coming to kill you in your village because you had guards and gates and walls and 
all this kind of stuff. And so anyways, can we throw up that photo? Cool. Can you guys see that? Okay, so this is the wall in Jerusalem. Uh, it's really big, and uh, I took a rock from it. How about that? Um, and uh, yeah, flew back with it. I'm like, this is my prophetic rock. Um, but um, anyways, so that's the gate right there. This is the Damascus gate. So fun fact, this gate, this could have been part of the old wall, but was just rebuilt. But this would have been the gate. Paul would have gone on to Damascus because it goes straight north. And so um, it's the only gate on the north, except there's one on the far side. But this was commonly associated with the major highway that went through the area. Anyways, Damascus Gate, it's right on the edge of the Arab Quarter. It's kind of the poppin' area of the old city. Anyway, so I, I love this spot. We stayed not far from here. But what I wanted to unpack... Um, as we looked at this, was um, just a, a biblical motif. Motif? My, any literary people in the room? I had to look it up. I wrote it, and I was like, no, that's actually what I meant. Um, uh, but a motif, a theme uh, in Scripture about walls and gates. And you, you can just keep the photo up till uh, Scripture comes around. But what was interesting about it is you walk in, and you're in modern Jerusalem. It's like hustle bustle. Like literally a quarter mile down the road, you can get like American barbecue. And then you're like, you go through these gates. There's like guards at the door. They're carrying M16s or machine guns or something. So it's not like spears and stuff, but they walk in and then all of a sudden it's completely different on the inside. What was like sprawling is all of a sudden like cramped and tight and there's shopkeepers and you're on these like little streets this wide and there's shops on both sides and totally different experience. It was really interesting how you could walk through the gate and be completely in a different place. And as we unpack this theme that's referenced throughout the Old and New Testament about walls and gates, I'm going to make some symbolic inferences from the scriptures um, according to how it would have been understood in the ancient days, and hence why I'm showing you this. Um, and I'm, un I'm happy to unpack this more another time if anyone has more questions. But the interesting thing about cities like this, like in Phoenix, say I want to route myself to, gosh, someone name a place like 30 minutes from here. Surprise, GCU, Glendale. Um, okay, say I want to route myself to Bass Pro Shop. I'm sure they have one here. Um, I could take like 20 to 30 different routes to get to Bass Pro Shop. I could cut through any neighborhoods I want, zigzag all I want. I could take the straight route. I could jump on the 60 or the 101 or whatever I could do, I could do that. In ancient days, if you wanted to get into the city, you had to go through the gate. If you wanted to enter the kingdom, you had to go through the gate. Just like that, if you want to enter God's kingdom, you have to go through the gate. There's not 20 routes. Does that make sense? Okay. So I've titled this message, Our Tongue, the Mighty Gate. Sounds kind of poetic. Um, you might get where I'm going here. Um, but... I want to propose that the biblical gate for entering the kingdom of God is how we use our mouth. How we use our mouth. How we use this thing, this literal, physical thing. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. It says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. 
He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Like that's kind of funny. What comes out satisfies what's within. Does that make sense? And so the death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. And I love the bluntness. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And what this means is that there's no gray area there, but your tongue has power unto life or unto death. Make sense? Cool. So my question for you is, do you treat your tongue as if death and life are in its power? Do you treat your tongue as if death and life are in its power? And so if you realize that and you start comprehending, wow, my tongue is either going to spew life or it's going to spew death, then it really changes how you speak. And it teaches you to steward it because it says if you love it, you'll eat its fruit. And what that means is if you speak life, there is fruit to come from that that you yourself will receive and enjoy. Amen? Okay, so throw up this. This is just a little phrase. I'm going to have these throughout my sermon. Um, This is just a little help us understand summaries. The mouth, how we speak, is at the crossroads of death and life, depending on how we choose to steward it. Can we agree on that? According to scripture, what this is saying, the mouth is at the crossroads of death and life, depending on how we choose to steward it. I mean, think about it on the basic form of salvation. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, we'll be saved. There's something about this that partnered with the confession to make Jesus Lord to bring salvation. And all the more, it's, it, it gets deeper than that. And so David acknowledges it this way, going back to the gate and the wall motif. And it's Psalm 141.3. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And so you see this door. Keep watch over the door of my lips. David acknowledges, this is a prayer to the Lord, and he's acknowledging, I need help guarding what comes out of here, so would you help me guard it? And would you watch what comes out of here like a door so that I can have control with you on what I speak, because it really matters. And so our tongue, if you can bear with me, is the gate we are told to guard in all things. And so going back to this wall city analogy, a soldier is going to trust in the wall for safety. But if an enemy comes, he's going to look to his gates first to secure his city. He's not going to run and make sure the wall is there. He's going to run and make sure is the gate shut. Is my city secure? Isaiah 60 verse 18 unpacks it a little bit more, gives us a good glimpse in how to properly use our gates And it says, violence shall no more be heard in your land. Amen. Would it be in Arizona? Devastation or destruction within your borders. I will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Come on. Are you guys picking this up? I will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. In other words, God is our wall our protection, because salvation comes in no one but the Lord, right? 
we cannot save ourselves. So God is our wall and security, but we are given authority to guard our gates with praise. Praise is not something God does for himself. He does not expect it, but he invites it to be from us. And so if he's salvation, then he's the strong thing that's wrapped around the building, and we get to be the door that decides, am I going to let the enemy in, or am I going to shut the gates and partner with the wall? Does this make sense? Okay. Um, And so we see this again in Psalm 100, verse 4. This is a popular verse in the prayer movement. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Amen. So here we get that theme. And here, gates is not just praise. It's actually thanksgiving. And so praise and thanksgiving, Scripture both connect to gates. And praise and thanksgiving, if you catch me, are both fruit of the mouth. They're both fruit of this thing. That David's like, please put a a door here. I need your help to guard this thing. And so just as a wall can remain strong and a door can be open and the enemy just march on in, so it is with our souls. So it is with our own inner being. You can be under the blood of Jesus and the redemption of Christ, but have open doors to attacks from the enemy because of the poor stewardship of your mouth. Can you believe that? Actually, I'm going to have it up here in a different form. Um, go for it. Thanks, Quavis. Can you throw that one next one up? It is possible to be saved and have eternal salvation in Jesus, but live a life of constant harassment from the enemy, the devil and his demons, because you have not guarded the gates of your life. That is, your mouth and your thoughts, because Jesus is clear out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? Okay. And so there's life and death in gatekeeping. You're a gatekeeper. Say it with me. I'm a gatekeeper. Say it excitedly. You're a gatekeeper. You get to keep the city from the devil, or you get to open the door and say, come on in, Satan, which I rebuke in Jesus' name. That's not going to be your portion. But you get to do it. It's exciting. And what I'm about to get more nitty-gritty and into, I might get a little blunt. I might get a little teachy. I might get a little, like, direct. But it's It's easy. It's so fun, and God has set it up for your mouth to be the gate of your soul. Proverbs, I didn't put this one in here, so it's not going to come up on the screen. I think it's 16. It says, he who rules his spirit is greater than he who captures a city. So do you get the imagery? There's a city, and you can take the city, but it's actually better for you to rule your spirit, your inner man. How do you do that? You keep your gates. Okay? So you're a gatekeeper. How do we guard our gates? Has something to do with Thanksgiving, you probably know. Something to do with praise. You can throw up the next verse. We're gonna camp out here for a little bit, and I really want this verse to, to be taken to heart by each of us. If there's one verse that you feel like uber convicted by, it's this one. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Say me. Me. Yeah. And so rejoice. Rejoice is another word for praise. Rejoice is another word for praise. Pray. Yes, that means intercession, but what it means in a broader sense is to live in constant relational dialogue with God. And thanksgiving, just do it all the time, all circumstances. What an assignment. I think this verse more than any other constantly makes me feel humbled because I might rejoice in a moment, but then something happens and then I'm like, oh. I stopped praying when that happened. I stopped giving thanks. And then I have to come back and I'm like, God, I repent. I repent. I close that door to complaint. And I just come back in. And so this is what we're invited into, guys. This is the gatekeeper manual. And I just want to say it's a joy to do these things. It takes work and discipline. Um, and, and, and it honestly will take the rest of your life to master this. And you may not master it, but Good news, 1 Corinthians 15 says, in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to be changed into the image of Jesus. So whatever you don't master in this life, you'll master in the next, but you'll get rewarded for this life. And that's really fun. So it's also important to see on the other side of things, what is the antithesis or the opposite of those three? I really find a parallel verse in Philippians 2, 14 through 15 in the NASB 95. Um, I just like this version. Um, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. uh, My version says complaining or arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And it keeps going. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, disputing, arguments, however you translate it. I like the word complaint because it really resonates with me. Um, but whatever, however you want to translate that, but do all things without complaining. And look at that absolute language. You rejoice always. You don't stop praying. And in everything you give thanks. And then you do all things without complaining. You do all things without it. And I just want to say this. It's connected to you being a child of God and a light of the world. Complaint is not your portion as a child of God. It actually hinders the way that you look blameless and innocent, and it makes you look like the crooked and perverse generation around you. Does this make sense? I was literally at the store last night, and this guy was checking out in front of us. And just last night? Yeah. And um, he was checking out in front of us, and he was just complaining his face off. I was like, I, I didn't even know what he was talking about, like Marvel or something. I'm like, I don't even watch Marvel. What is there? Like, that's not the thing if you want to spend that energy. Um, anyways, and so we were, I was praying for him under my breath, but what, what was sad about it um, is that like complaint robs you of the opportunity to see the goodness of God. And so this guy is buying food for his family and could be rejoicing in that, but instead he's going home complaining about Marvel. Like, what, do you see the difference there? So, we, I'm just going to say this, we are differentiated as lights by not complaining, but rather by giving thanks, rather by praising, rather by praying and rejoicing. And so tonight, I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to encounter us practically. And it, it can be a worship moment, but it's not necessarily a, a worship moment moment per se when I say the word encounter 
but I really feel like he wants to set up our lives for daily, moment-by-moment connection with him. And it comes through rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in every circumstance, giving thanks. And I really feel like he wants to teach us how to be good and proper gatekeepers so we can rule the city of our spirit, so we can keep the gates with him, so we can steward our mouths. Scripture says, in the same part where it says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks, it also says you will stand before God and testify of every careless word you've spoken in this life. And I have spoken a lot of careless words. I don't want to speak anymore. I really don't. I want the Lord to say, wow, Dawson, when you were 26, something changed, man. That was powerful. Where you used to complain, you would give thanks. Where you used to complain and grumble and gripe, you turned that into prayer. Oh, my gosh. And that was the year I was able to bless you because of it. That was the year you saw my goodness like never before. Like, I want the Lord to say that about this year in my life. How much more you in your year. Amen? Okay. So... Let's just jump in. You can throw this next one up. This is a little bit more of some defining as we kind of get into it. In any circumstance, situation, going back to the scriptures, always, thanksgiving, to be mindful of God and his goodness, what he's done and is doing and will do. And this overlaps with rejoicing when you give thanks in the now. But when you give thanks for what's ahead, it overlaps with prayer. Does that make sense? Because you're giving thanks and you're asking God for what's coming. But rejoicing is in the now. Thanksgiving a lot of times is looking back. And so, but I'm using Thanksgiving kind of as a banner word for everything I'm talking about. But I'm really referring to this scripture, amen? Complaint. To be more mindful of the enemy and his works. It's failure focused. It's negative. It's lack thinking. It's problem minded. And it overlaps with grumbling, with gossip, and with unbelief. That's not a good list to overlap with. And I just want to specify Thanksgiving is more than just words. It's an act of faith. It's not a feeling or else God would not have commanded it. But because he commanded it, it's accessible. If it's in the word, it's accessible. It might take time, but it's accessible. It's not a feeling. It's an act of faith. The Lord says in 1 Corinthians 15, what you sow in weakness will be raised in power. And so that weak act of thanksgiving, God's going to raise in power. That's what faith is. It's not always what you feel, but it's saying, you know, I believe more than I feel. I believe more than I see. I believe more than I think. And I'm going to override that with the truth of God. And I'm going to give thanks. A lot of times thanksgiving in the truest sense is founded on a deep scriptural truth about God's nature. It's not just, God, thank you for my bed, even though I am thankful for my bed. It's, God, thank you that you said that you would give to your beloved sleep in Psalm 127. And I need sleep tonight. I need to be refreshed And I thank you that I get to go to bed tonight. And I thank you that I get to wake up expectant to meet with you. Do you hear the difference? One is like good. It's good to say, I'm thankful for my bed or I'm thankful for Nick's shirt, you know, or whatever it is, you know. I don't even know what that says. North, North. North Coast Church, cool. Uh, that's awesome. And, uh, but, but like, it's, it's another thing to like tie it into an encounter with God. And that's really what we're talking about. And that takes work. It takes scripture. It takes kind of just a process, but it's worthwhile. 
And complaint, on the other hand, is more than just words as well. It's also a heart posture. It's also an attitude. It takes faith to complain, but it's faith in the devil. It's not faith in God. And so complaint is an act of faith, but you're saying, I believe in the devil and what he could do more than I believe in what God could do in this moment. And so both take faith, both aren't a feeling, though you can, I, I wager you could feel complaint probably quicker than you could feel thanksgiving. They're feelable, but they're not feelings. And so when we give thanks, and this is really important, when we give thanks, we make holy what we thank God for, and we put it under his authority. When we give thanks, we make holy what we thank God for, and we put it under his authority. 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5 in the NKJV, um, talking about um, these men who were basically saying, you can't eat certain foods and all this stuff. Um, and he's saying, yes, you can. And he's talking about receiving food, but there's a, there's a lesson in this. And it's, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if, if, that's a big if, if it's received with thanksgiving. For what is, and I'm just connect this in scripture, for what is received by, with thanksgiving is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What is received in thanksgiving is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And so this is why Paul, Paul's tying this in. He's saying, I, I want you to receive, but with thanksgiving. Because the importance of thanksgiving is it sanctifies by the word of God and with prayer. So, but he also rebukes them when they eat food sacrificed to an idol. And, that I, and the, the person who sacrificed it to an idol then had them over for dinner knows it. Um, if he eats that, he says, you can't eat that because you are sanctifying a demonic work. And so what he's trying to get at here is that our thanksgiving, our mouths are the gates and so they either let it into the city and say, come on in, you're welcome, sanctifying, setting it apart into our souls, um, or closing the gates and saying, no, you're not. And so what we get here is that God is interested in setting things apart, and it's important that we give thanks, because when we do so, it sanctifies the circumstance. And I'm not saying it sanctifies calamity, death, disease, brokenness, no, we're actually called to wage war against those things, and those things aren't our portion as the believer. But what it is, is if there is a difficult circumstance, when you pray and give thanks out of that circumstance for a true, genuine reason, I don't want to say, God, I'm not going to say, God, thank you for X disease, you know? But if you give thanks in that, you're actually sanctifying and giving God authority to reveal his goodness in that situation. Are you tracking me? Okay, I'm unpacking this a little bit. And so this is why it's important to give thanks, not just in good things, but in difficulty, because we get to, as the gates, partner with what we let into our city. And we want to defend our city. We don't want to tolerate complaint. We want to let in what is good. And thanksgiving opens the door to the goodness of God and not the enemy. An example this one's fun. I was trying to think of something that we could probably all relate to in one form or another. You've got a six to eight hour car ride, flight, process home for the summer. I know you do, Jackson. Um, you're tired. 
you just had finals, you're like whipped, you know, and you're, you've got your, your stuff, you're lugging more luggage than you want to. You've got two options, all right? You get in the car, you're like, this is the complaint route. Let's just get this over with. You numb out with music. If you're on a plane, you just watch movies the whole time. You just drown yourself with podcasts and you eat junk food and you just kind of get through it and you're like, man, this is empty wasteland, desert. Why am I driving through this? And da 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 da. And then you get home. Or you got the Thanksgiving route. And you realize, wow, God, I get six hours to be with you in the car. This is awesome. I get six hours with you, God. Sure, it's in the car, sure, it's on the plane. This is my wife. When we go traveling overseas, she's like, I get to be with God on the plane. And it's so fun. Totally changed my perspective. Um, this is to you, boo. Um, but all of a sudden, God's speaking. And because you approached it with an attitude of thanksgiving, you're like, wow, God, you want to meet with me in this car. And that car ride turns into an encounter. Maybe he speaks a promise over your life. Maybe you just really need a solid sermon and you're like crying in the presence of God, just getting wrecked. Maybe he actually heals something in your heart because you just get time to process. But you get set up for an encounter with God in the car. And do you see the difference here? Like this person over here, let me just get this over with. I got a six hour drive, man. I don't even want to go home right now. Like my life at home is, my parents are just, uh, and just da, 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 you know? And you get home and you totally missed out. And God's like, dude, I had so much good for you on that drive. I was going to prep your heart. I was going to tell you how to talk to your dad. I was going to give you vision for your new job over the summer. I was going to speak to you. I was going to put a scripture on your heart. I was going to have you pray for someone. I was going to have you pull over and pray for that guy at QT. Man. Okay, I'll find someone else to do that. And so do you see the difference here? Complaint blinds your eyes to Jesus, and Thanksgiving opens a door for you to access his goodness. Because his goodness is free it's available, and it's near. And a lot of times, it's actually your negative thought patterns. I'm not saying this over you, but just someone's negative thought patterns that actually keep them from accessing the goodness of God. It's not that he's hiding himself. And so when we give thanks, we sanctify something, and God's like, cool, that's under my authority now. I'm going to take that thing over. He's possessive, man. He's a conqueror. You ever read Revelation 19? He's about it. He wants it all. Like Adam said, that theologian, there's not a square inch of the earth that Jesus Christ does not declare mine, and that includes your time. That includes everything you do. So that's why we sanctify with thanksgiving. And the access points thankfulness to, to all of it, which is so fun, so simple. The mindset shift opens doors. Okay, so you can throw up this next one. Thanksgiving protects us from the enemy and sets us up to conquer. Complaint opens doors to Satan. So I've kind of been hinting at that a little bit. Um, and so Thanksgiving empowers you to step into freedom. And I'll give you an example here. Same thing. Let's say you or someone has wrestled with thoughts of fear, anxiousness, um, various things. You spend time with the Lord in the morning and like, man, his, soap, his peace is there. 
But you know that afternoon, you got to go to work. You got to go have a conversation with that person. You got to go take that test. You got to go do that thing. And you know that's the moment when the anxious thought comes. That's when the fear comes. That's when the thing comes. You have two options, complaint or thanksgiving. So complaint. Man, this just always happens. You know what? I'm just, I'm just going to drop that class. That's just, it's just too much, too much for me. I got, I got other things I want to play. Man, I don't, I, I, I'm just not, I don't want to do that. Okay, I'll go. And you're just rigid, full of fear, powerless. And what happens is you enslave yourself in the same cycle you're trying to get free from that Jesus set you free from that morning. Because you don't need to get free over and over and over again. You get set free in the morning. He just invites you to walk it out. So you got Thanksgiving. God, you, you did it this morning. I met with you. Your peace came like you lifted that. And man, you gave me the promise that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And I feel super uncomfortable going to talk to that person today. Or I feel super uncomfortable going to work. Or man, I have to go get gas. I've got 50 bucks in my bank account. God, thank you that you will take care of me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And you have already declared my future good. So I'm going to step into this boldly. And you might still feel that thought in the moment, but if you're operating in a spirit of thanksgiving, you say, uh-uh, this isn't coming near my house. This isn't coming near my city. And then boom, victory. And what happens with victory? There's more. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. There's always more. And so you take a battle and the Lord's like, let's take another one because there's no losing. And that's the excitement of God. And that's why Thanksgiving protects us from the enemy. It actually sets us up to conquer because Thanksgiving is the spirit of victory. Complaint is the spirit of defeat. Amen? Okay. And I just want to highlight this. Our words really matter. Okay, and, and this is just a rule of thumb I'm going to allow for us. Do not use an absolute about a negative thing. This always happens. Oh, man. Man, every time I go here, they just always do that. It's just, it's just not worth it. You are partnering with your gate with the enemy and not actually giving God an opportunity to bring breakthrough. And I know things are complex, right? Like you can partner with God and if someone's like, hey, I'm not partnering with God, they're just gonna walk into lawlessness and you can't control that. But what you can control is your heart posture, your attitude and your confidence of victory in the Lord because victory is not dependent on what other people do. And so an example here of the always thing, my wife saw that um, when she was in Greece, she spent a year in Greece a few years ago working with Syrian refugees. Um, she had a teammate who would say, man, she would just be like, she would, she would always get in car accidents. She would just say, man, always get in car accidents. And she would always get in car accidents. Like it was like every month or two. I don't remember exact details. But it was self-prophesied out of a spirit of complaint. It was not walked out in in victory. So if you're struggling with something, you're saying, man, I just always deal with that at this time. Recognize that if your language shifts, you keep your gate, you walk in a spirit of thanksgiving, it might not be overnight, but you are setting yourself up for victory. Because I bet if this girl would have been like, 
I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Psalm 91 says that 10,000 might fall at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I rebuke that, God. You have spoken. I am not going to get in a car accident. I can get in this car and be safe. You got angels around me, God. And that would have totally shifted. Would have totally shifted. And let me just say, if that's you, if you like have had car accidents as a regular part of your life, um, there's a lot of factors. Sometimes there can be generational calamity. If you know, like, man, my parents, my grandparents have just, things just have happened to them. And that can actually be broken off by the blood of Jesus. And I encourage you to do that. Um, but if you have just, if you've partnered with that in your mouth, I just encourage you to repent, replace it with Thanksgiving, get faith from God that that's not his portion from you. Cause it's not, you're not supposed to live in danger. God's you're his son or daughter. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you. So just a nugget there. So if I hear you say always, and I do this, I will correct you. Really? Always? Always? That's so strong. Do you just mean sometimes? So um, and so it's fun. It's at the, and, and then the other, oh, the other thing, I wasn't planning on saying this. The other thing, do not use possessive pronouns with sins. My fear, my anxiety. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's not yours. That was on the cross. Okay? It sounds nitpicky. It sounds a little legalistic, but I'm telling you, if you speak with your mouth, your mind will follow. Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks and God invites you to steward your tongue to take authority over your spirit, rule your city, and take the land. And that's, that's what he's given you for. And so, so possessive pronouns on negative things, it's, it's, I don't like the word pet peeve. It's a, there's more. There's just more. There's more. Okay. Great. Um, okay, you can go to the next one. Uh, Thanksgiving releases blessing and favor in our lives. Complaint robs authority and blessing. You've probably already been picking that up, right? Like the person who's complaining kind of sounds pretty powerless at this point, right? But man, the person who's thankful, man, <laughs> they might as well be wearing like a suit of armor or like being the Navy SEALs or something. Like they're some conquerors. And so it's real. Like when we give thanks, it releases blessing and favor in our lives. And I just want to say this, Thanksgiving protects you from unnecessary brokenness and calamity. From unnecessary brokenness and calamity. Cool. Um, great. Yeah, I said this verse earlier. This is Ezekiel thirty-six eleven, And I would just say, find verses that speak of the goodness of God. Like Psalm 31, 19, oh, how abundant is your goodness that you've stored up for those who fear you, that you work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of all the children of mankind. Sit on that. Like God, if you fear him and you take refuge in him, he's stored up and he works goodness on your behalf in the sight of everyone around you. And just when you feel like, man, I, and, and, and that's really what Thanksgiving is and the reason it is so good is when you taste the goodness of God that's kind of behind that like awkward faith step of thank you. You like don't want anything else. When you realize that you can live in his goodness, you can live in his faithfulness, you can live in friendship with him because you choose with your mouth to give thanks. You don't want anything else. And so that verse in Ezekiel 36, 11, I didn't give this one, but it just says, I will do more good. To, there's a, it's a prophecy about people returning to Israel. And it's a verse he said, the Lord spoke to my heart in college. 
um, and said, this is for you. He says, I will do more good to you than ever before, and then you'll know I'm the Lord. I will do more good to you than ever before, and that's how you will know I am the Lord. Okay? All right. I'm going to keep going here. If anything I'm saying doesn't sit well, my challenge to you would be to make sure that your eyes are on the goodness of God more than on yourself and that your eyes are on his bigness more than on your littleness. Does that make sense? You have what you need. Every single one of you has what you need right now to be transformed. So when we're being sanctified, we're, being, we're growing with God. I said this, but I just want to reiterate, complaint, self-prophesize, defeat. Because you're speaking and that's the direction you're going. But thanksgiving partners with the Lord in prophesying victory. And when I say prophesy, I mean speaking in agreement with God. Okay? And so, how many of you know that Baal had prophets? Okay. So, Second Chronicles 20. I'm not reading it. I'm going to summarize it. It's 19 and 20, I believe. It's, a t- it's an awesome story. Um, but basically, an army is coming against Israel, or coming against Israel and Judah, Judah specifically, under King Jehoshaphat. Um, this army is coming from, I believe, the east, from like Moab and all these areas. It's this massive band. Jehoshaphat's like, we are overran. What are we going to do? He does what all good leaders should do. He falls on his face, and he cries out before God. He holds this big meeting, and this Levite stands up, and the Levite prophesies, and he's like, surely the Lord will fight for us and give us this battle. And so what Jehoshaphat does is he doesn't, cool, I'm going to put my best men up front. I'm going to give myself the best chance to win with the Lord. But he says, you know what, I'm going to put those Levites who prophesied, I'm going to put them up front. I'm going to have them give thanks. And it says that they gave thanks to the Lord in front of the army. And the Lord went before them, stirred up confusion in the camp of the Moabites, and they slaughtered each other before they even got there. And I believe that's a prophetic picture of what it looks like to walk in a spirit of thankfulness. You will not fight the battle you thought you had to because the Lord goes before you. And you will walk up on the scene like they did where they said, all our enemies are dead, and they'll just take the gold, take the good stuff, they'll go back home, they threw a celebration, and that's what fighting with God really is when you do it in Thanksgiving. Because let me tell you, you can grow and complain the whole time you grow and it's really slow and arduous and oh, God's refining me. (sighs) I'm being so refined today. Man, I asked God for a finer's fire and he came. I I am being so challenged and convicted right now. Like, why are you complaining about that? Like, do you not realize that you're predestined to be conformed to the image of the son and that he's taking you from glory to glory through refinement? Like, why are you not excited about the refinement. And so, like, if you are complaining about growth, that is the Israelite spirit in the wilderness that complained when they got manna. But if you are excited about growth, you're partnering with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and he's happy. He is happy. If he's refining you, he's like, man, Kramer, bro, I, I'm, I'm pretending I'm the Lord. I'm not the Lord. But, like, I am so excited to transform you today. 
you don't know, but you're going to feel so convicted because you're going to say something really dumb. And I rebuke this in Jesus' name, actually. But I'm going to so transform you, and I'm going to pull out a lie, like a little weed, and I've been preparing you for this for a week, and I'm so excited because I can't wait to give you something better on the other side of that. Amen. Um, And that's refinement with the Lord. And so if you're being refined, do not complain. Welcome to life. You're signing up for it. And, and if refinement has a stigma of negativity and complaint, then you're going to run from it. But if refinement's fun, even if it's painful, like it can be exciting. Maybe not fun, but it can be exciting to like recognize that you're being changed and to recognize that this week I'm different than I was last week. Like, have you ever, do you know people from high school who are still the same person? Oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't talk to people from high school, not because I'm like better than them. I just, I, I live in Phoenix. They're all in a small town in Louisiana. Um, I have a couple friends I still communicate with that follow Jesus and are awesome. But I mean, it's just shocking how people can linger in a mindset and not change. And, and I don't know about you, but if you go back this summer, People are going to be like, you're different. (laughs) Yeah, I'm being changed, bro. I'm being changed. I look more like Jesus. That's what you're saying. Thanks. I am different. I don't do that anymore. I'm sorry. So, cool. I like this phrase, he reveals to heal. He reveals to heal. So tonight, if you're feeling pressed here, or he's revealing something today, like he's done that to heal you. And so, give thanks. Amen? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And I just want to say, just an important note, and then we're going to respond, and so we can go ahead and have the band come up. Um, but this is a lifestyle. It's not a moment. And so, what I'm putting before you, this First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, really is, um, it's a daily yes. It's inviting yourself to be halted by the Lord when you do the opposite. Um, and it's inviting yourself to check yourself and come back into submission with him on a daily basis. And I say that from experience. Even last week, the Lord was stopped us and, God, I this week, today, I've had to fight to choose thankfulness. I've had to fight. I haven't felt like it. <laughs> I haven't felt like it at all today, actually. <laughs> I'm giving a sermon on it. And uh, I've had to fight to be thankful. But let me tell you that, like, you fight the first time, and then you see the other side of that, and then you just feel like the goodness of God is like a dam that burst, just flooding around you. And, and nothing may have changed in your circumstance. And let me say that, you don't give thanks to change your circumstance. You give thanks to change you. And God is good, and, and a lot of times he does change the circumstance. But, um, but when you see that flood of his goodness on the other side, it's, it's addicting. It's, it's, it's truly addicting. I don't really like that word because it has a negative connotation. But it is good for us to be addicted to the presence of God. And I'm not necessarily talking about the feels in a worship song. I'm talking about being changed. Like, if you want to strive for something, strive to be addicted to being changed. And I'm not talking about in legalism where we conform ourselves to 
to look like a certain image. I'm talking about the delight of sonship or daughterhood where you get to rejoice. Oh, you got rid of that, God. Thank you. Where consecration is a beauty, not a burden. Where you get to say no to things. Like, do things that don't make sense to people. Like, I remember when I deleted all my social media and it probably doesn't make sense to any of you guys. But oh my gosh, the space it gave my mind to meet with Jesus. Not out of religion, but out of the delight of God. I get that five minutes on the bathroom toilet to meet with you now. I'm being serious. And so in that spirit of thanksgiving, sanctification is a beauty. It's a delight. And so we're going to respond. And I just want to say, I invite you guys to taste and see. If you've like given thanks as like a religious rite where you kind of go through a list or something, I invite you to press in a little deeper and, 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 and connect the thing you're thankful to to God's goodness. And if there's a block to that, there might be a sin or a compromise or something that you just need to deal with. And I don't say that with shame. I just mean God's goodness is in the room. He wants to remove it so you can be like him. And, and, and if you're feeling trouble going there, there might be something that needs to move. And I do believe God's gonna set people free tonight. And so you can throw up that list. This is some, just some things I felt like God was doing in the room tonight. Um, first one is freedom from complaint. Freedom from complaint. If you're really in this, you can actually host demonic oppression but a lot of us just really need renewal of the mind to not approach something and think the first thing is negative. Like, why is that you approach something and nothing's wrong, but you think the first thing is negative? If that's you, you might need freedom from complaint in the renewal of your mind tonight. The next thing is generational complaint and negativity. And if you are part of a family that this is in, you might already know what I'm talking about. But a lot of things, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, the Lord said, Yahweh said in Exodus that um, sins pass from generation to generation if there's no repentance. And so um, the sins of the fathers, unfortunately, unless if there's not repentance, a lot of times do get repeated by the sons unless they say enough. I'm drawing a bloodline in the name of Jesus. That does not touch me, my children, and my children's children. We are sanctified in Jesus' name. And so for some of you guys, it might be more than just like personal. It might actually be your parents or your grandparents. And you just need to cut that off. Not cut them off. You still show up. You still love them. You don't demonize them. But just an awareness of, man, my, my mom, she is a gossip. I probably need to, one, just forgive her, release her, and then just break off generational gossip. Just, are are y'all tracking me? I know this is like deeper healing stuff, but this is walking with Jesus. It's being more than just aware of your own self, but being aware that you're part of a bigger story. And, and that's the beauty of family is that you guys get to start a new lineage for your children and your children's children. Like my children will rule and reign with Jesus. You know why? Because I'm doing the work. My wife and I, she's, she's been doing the work more, more than I have. I am blessed. And we are gonna have kids that love God because we are faithful to close doors, keep the gates of our family and release his goodness, okay? The next thing is generational calamity and misfortune. And what this looks like is you might have family say, oh, that just happens in our family. 
You might have generations of some random illness. My grandpa suffered with that, and my dad suffered with that. And then, oh, no, we cut that off in Jesus' name. It might be just literally mishap and mayhem. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times, mayhem, mishap, calamity is the result of open doors to darkness. I'm not saying that's the case all the time, but just something for us to be aware, sin opens doors to the devil. If you open your door and sin, the enemy comes in and he causes havoc. It's not something to be afraid of, but it's something that we can recognize, wow, we have authority over that, and this is good. And so if there's stuff in your family that's like, man, that just feels like it's gone down the line, or maybe things like, I know when I was a kid, it was like, man, pools aren't patient. Pools are just, pools just wrestle with impatience. And I was like, no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I'm a patient man. As soon as I started following Jesus in college, I am a patient man. And I cut that off. And my kids, they're going to be so patient. And so just, just some examples. The next one is freedom from impatience and frustration with self and a lack of patience for the growth process. Um, growth process is part of that one. And so this is something that's real. If you are just human and you struggle with something and you have a hard time being patient with yourself, God wants to deliver you from that. That's called being hard on yourself. You're partnering with condemnation, which you are not condemned in Christ Jesus. And so if you, I'm just being real, you can be free from something and then a thought comes in, you're like, why'd that come in? I just don't want that. And then you're all of a sudden beating yourself up for something that's not even yours. And so God wants to set you free so you can learn how to be patient with yourself because things take time. This isn't a moment thing. I know we live in a world where I could literally in 10 minutes have a pizza here, but um, with Jesus, things take time. And he'll do a big work in a moment, but he's inviting you to the day to day, little yes. And if you're faithful in the little, he'll set you over much. And so for some of you, that you're hard on yourself or you're impatient with yourself, in the growth journey, and God, that actually partners with complaint. You're complaining about where you're at in the process, and you're hindering growth. So if you can learn to get free from impatience and hardness on yourself, you're gonna find that you're gonna take a step, and 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 you're gonna keep going, and then all of a sudden you're gonna realize, wow, God, I used to be over there. I used to be over there. And so that's the beauty of it. And so God wants to make us patient with ourselves because that's what we need as we embrace true, deep growth with God. The last two are together, accountability to call out complaint with a friend. I repented to Cuevas this week of complaint. Um, I was complaining about something. I was like, God, that was, that was dumb. I repent. And so it's good to have friends who can call you out and to say, hey, can you call me out the next time I complain? My household's a no complaint house. It's so good. You come in our house, complain. No, 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 no. We'll let you stay, but we'll, we'll change that. Um, and then uh, thankfulness, buddy, and your foxhole. Foxhole is like the things in World War II that you would hide in in battle, um, in like the, the Pacific, rim, uh, Pacific uh, Theater. And um, anyways, it's basically you would have two people in a, a foxhole, and you would back each other up. And so if one needed ammo, you'd toss him the ammo. You'd cover the other one if you needed to move, but you would move together. 
And so some of us literally just need thankfulness buddies in our foxhole. Like maybe you've just got a bad attitude and you're like, hey, can I call you? Like, can I call you up and just give thanks? Like, oh man, I have been griping about this and I feel so convicted. Dawson literally said how dumb that is. And um, I'm just gonna give thanks on the phone. Can you just agree with me? Yeah, God, I just thank you, da, 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 da. You know, and then all of a sudden you got someone in your boat with you because iron sharp, I think it's the verse of the day today. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we're gonna go for it. And I just wanna invite you, if you're feeling stirred by anything I said, any of those things on there, and just anything in general, um, I just wanna invite you now, you can just go ahead and come to the front um, and we're just gonna respond. We're gonna meet with God and we're gonna be changed. And so we'll have a ministry team up here. Um, and so we'll have a few of us just kind of standing up here to pray for people. Um, but my, my invitation to you would just be respond to Jesus tonight. Respond to Jesus. And if you're like feeling super convicted about this, like don't beat yourself up because the goodness of God's here and he wants to walk you out of that thing. So let's respond. I'm just gonna pray for us and we're gonna go there. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. God, this is the last sermon I have this semester. And God, with this new church plant, God, this, I just, God, would, 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 this is maybe one of the last times I'll get to speak with GCU. And so, Lord, I just thank you that they would hear your words tonight. God, I thank you for ASU, God. Oh, God, that you would pierce us and make us new like you, that you'd refine us like fire. I pray for every person in this room that you would humble us, meet us, convict us, change us in Jesus' name. We thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we know that you are here because where two or more gathered, you are among us. And so God, we thank you right now. We ask that you would set minds free. I just, yeah, I just pray the renewal of the mind over every person in this room. God, would you give grace for light bulbs to go off in Jesus' name, light bulbs to go off, things to click that haven't clicked. I thank you that you would lift cages off of people's mind. God, where, 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 where doctors have declared medical diagnoses, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You are free under the blood right now in Jesus' name. We thank you that you're lifting depression and anxiety with a spirit of thanksgiving. And we ask that you would come near, that you would heal, that you would move, God, and we bless you. We ask that you would be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen.